It was autumn and the Indians on a remote reservation asked their new chief if winter was going to be cold or mild. But he was a new Indian chief and he hadn't been told, taught all of the old ways of the chiefs who could look up at the sky and determine what kind of winter was coming. And so just to be on the safe side, because he was a, uh, he wanted to be, you know, make sure he prepared his, his people as best he could. Just to be on the safe side, he said, it is going to be a cold weather, winter. Tell the people to collect the firewood. And so all the folks went out and they collected firewood and, and, uh, he was a new, uh, a new chief and it was modern times. And so he thought, well, just to be on the safe side, he went into town about a week later and he found a phone booth and he called the National Weather Service and he said, is it going to be a cold winter? And the National Weather Service said, yes, it is going to be a cold winter. And so he went back to his people and he told his people, he said, well, I want you to collect even more firewood because it is really going to be a cold winter. winter. A few weeks later, he called back to the National Weather Service and he said, are you sure it's going to be a cold weather? And they said, oh, it looks like it's going to be a really cold winter. And so he went back to his people and said, it's going to be a really cold winter. I want you to go out and collect even more firewood. And about two weeks later, he went back to the phone booth and he called the National Weather Service again. And he said, are you sure it's going to be an extremely cold winter? And they said, we think this is going to be the coldest winter on record. It's going to be that cold. And so he said, well, how can you be sure? He said, because the Indians are collecting wood like crazy. (laughs) Well, you know, there's old ways and there's new ways. (laughs) This Indian chief wasn't so well versed in the old ways. And boy, you start mixing the old ways and the new ways and it just doesn't work out so well, does it? (laughs) We're talking here today as we get into our our fruitfulness series about old and new. Old and new. If I were to come in and to hold up an old dollar bill and a new dollar bill, you all could pick out which one was the old one, couldn't you? If I were to come in and bring an old penny and a brand new penny, you guys could pick it out without reading the date on it, couldn't you? If I brought in an old piece of fruit and a new piece of fruit, you all could pick it out, couldn't you? If I showed you an old car, and a new car. You all could tell the difference right away, couldn't you? Yes. If I had an old dog and a puppy, <laughs> you could tell the difference between them, couldn't you? Yes. And yet when we come into the ways of God, the old ways don't seem to differ so much from the new ways. But if we're going to become fruitful, we've got to let go of the old ways and move on into the new. We talked last week about establishing some new patterns and new habits. And how that every opportunity we have, every time we're in traffic and the light seems to be longer than it should be. Every time that somebody pulls out in front of us and just seems to go so slow. Every time it seems like things are going on to make us late or to to, uh, cause us problems here or there. And we just get frustrated and we'll react according to the old ways. But God wants us to react according to the new ways. He wants us to go into a new way. And not to resist the new way, but to go the way of the new and not the way of the old. And so every time that we're faced with these opportunities, it's a chance to train us up to go the new way, to go in the new direction. We're going to look at some people who followed, had the opportunity at least to follow these. We're going to look at two, two people in the Word of God, Judas and Peter. One followed the old way and one followed a new way. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness 
and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Benarges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simeon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Over in Luke chapter 6, it reads this about it. Now it came to pass in those days when he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, so he continued all night in prayer, when it came to be daytime, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose twelve whom he had named apostles. Simon, and of course we go through the whole list here, and Judas is included in this, Peter also being included. And so we see that he, he had gone away, he had spent all night in prayer to God and came up with these twelve. He didn't just arbitrarily pick the twelve he liked the best. He picked these twelve out of all his disciples, all those that were following him. These were going to be the ones that would be called the apostles. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples, verse 17, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him to heal them all. So they were all appointed after prayer and sent out with power. All of them. Peter and Judas. Peter and Judas had the same start. They had the same opportunity. They could go in the same direction. But of course we know that one of them did not. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the, priest, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Well, how did he get to this place? He was picked... He would float in that anointing. He was sent out with the other 11 and given the same power. We have to assume that people that he laid hands on got healed. The demons went out because he spoke it. Otherwise, some kind of footnote would have been made by the authors saying, well, the 11 it worked for, but not for Judas. But they didn't make that. They said we all went out and we all saw these signs and wonders. But then it says in verse 3 that Satan... Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot. How is it that Satan entered Judas? There are some Christians that go around constantly afraid that Satan is going to get on them. Oh, if we... be, oh, be careful. You know, you used to be. You, know, you grow into the movie theater. Satan's going to get on you. If you go into a dance hall, Satan's going to get on you. If you go into a bar, Satan's going to get on you. Right? We, we had all kinds of stuff. A lot of us were taught all kinds of things about, about how Satan could get on you. And you know what? That's, that's not quite right. We know from the Word of God that, that uh, Peter tells us that Satan roams around seeking whom he may devour, which means he may not devour everyone. But there's certain ones that he can devour. And so he goes about to try and devour those. But uh, let's just be on the side that he can't devour. Well, here it says Satan entered Judas. So how did he get in there? Well, the door must be opened. It's not just going to, you're not just going to get in. The door's got to be open. You know, have you ever watched those crime scenes? You know, what's it, CSI and NCIS and, uh, I don't know, everything's initials. 
Everything's abbreviations anymore. We don't have names of shows. We have letters. And so you're out there with the letters and you're looking at all these things, but they always come in there. You know, they come into the crime scene and they begin to examine when the first thing they examine is how did the unsub, because that's the, apparently the terminology they use, the unknown suspect, how did he get in to the room? How did the unsub get in? And so they begin to look around and say, well, it doesn't seem that he broke in. So they assume from that that the person inside must have let him in. They must have known. If they see a broken lock, if they see a window opened up, they assume that maybe a window was left open. But if they don't see any sign of forced entry or any kind of, or certain other kind of signs, certain kinds of surprises and things like that, then they assume that the person inside let the person in. And this is what it is with Satan. People are letting him in, but we just got to be aware what it, what we do to, do to do that. In John chapter 13, verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So when he came to supper, it was already in his heart to do this. In uh, Luke 22, this is before the supper. He had gone to the priest and such and Pharisees and all that. And it says that Satan entered Judas and then he went over to them and talked to them about how he might betray Jesus and what they would give him for it. And so somewhere along there, Satan put this in his heart. He let him in, and then Satan put this in his heart to do this. Well, in John chapter 12, Then six days after the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, they were made, there, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared, or this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had put the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So this is the thing that had gone on. So out of the 12, Jesus selected Judas to handle the money. And for the entire ministry of Jesus, as far as we can tell, Judas handled the money. So he's there, he's handling the money, but all the time he's handling the money. And here comes one of the old ways. Why don't you take some of that money? There's an awful lot of money in there. Why don't you take some of that money and you know, get yourself that new coat? Because then you'll look good when you're in ministry. Why don't you get out there and get yourself that new pair of sandals? Because you, you know, you're doing a lot of walking and this is on Jesus' expense. I mean, he's, you're walking for Him. Why should you buy your own shoes? When you're walking for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, there's no sense in me doing that. Then once you start giving in on that, then you say, you know, why don't you go into town and, and give some money to the poor and since you're working, lunch is on them. I don't know what all the things that came into Judas's heart, but somehow he had the money and he came up with all kinds of ways and all kinds of excuses. I'm sure the first ones looked almost legitimate. But then after a while, they got to be less and less legitimate. And pretty soon he's just taking, he's just tapping in. You know, this is for the kids' college fund. This is for my retirement. I don't know what it all was, but he's putting some stuff away and the Word of God says, you know, he just starts taking from it. And we've looked at some of the things that helped his the, the pot here and it seemed that some of the things that the uh, Magi brought was probably being used to finance Jesus' ministry as well. Because Jesus never seemed, seemed to be hurting for money, even with this guy stealing from it. 
And so he got to the point where he's stealing so often that when he sees this thing being used for the benefit of Jesus to anoint him for his burial, that he's looking at that and he's looking at, oh, that could be sold. We could put it into the treasury and then I would have access to it. Like he didn't have enough access to enough money. But I guess he figures the more we put in, the harder it is to miss it. You know, it was before computers. Before the internet, you can check things on the internet, see how things were going. So all along the way, Peter is going one direction and Judas is going another. He's seen an opportunity. He felt these things before about money. But he sees this opportunity and, and now he's taking money from the till, money from the ministry, money for, that Jesus had put aside for some other things and he's using it for stuff that he knows isn't right. And as, the more he does this, the more he goes down a wrong road, a wrong way. And after a while of doing all this, it begins to corrupt the way he sees the things that are going on around Jesus. And at one point, Satan is able to enter in and make his home. And Judas invites him in. There's no forced entry. Judas just invites him on in. And he says, how about if you get some more money? Remember, you lost, you lost some money. They poured all that money out on Jesus' feet. Oh, what a waste. Why don't you try and get some of that money back? You can go over to the chief priest and you can sell Jesus. Yeah, I probably could pick up some stuff there. All right, why don't we just uh, just do that? And so this plan began to, to come into him and he began to do it. This is the guy who followed after Jesus, saw all this anointing, saw all the powerful teaching that all the others did, saw the power of God come and heal all people that were brought before him. Everyone was healed. Lepers, incurable diseases did not stand. People lame from their, their birth raised up to be walking. People blind from birth able to see. People who never could hear a sound are now hearing. And every place that they went, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And you wonder, how could this guy get to this place to begin to do it? To begin to sell Jesus out in this way. How could that happen? Because he went the old way. He didn't let his ways become renewed. He went in the old direction. We got to stay in the new direction. We got to stay in the way that God wants us to go. In John chapter 18, verse 3, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who or whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am He. And Judas, who betrayed Him, also stood with them. Now when He said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. What happened to Judas? Well, let's go back and look at it. First off, it said, And Judas, who betrayed Him, also stood with who? Them. The people who came, the soldiers. And so Jesus spoke these words, I am He. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Who did? The they, the group of soldiers that came and that Judas was with. If Judas would have stood up and the rest of them fell down, don't you think they would have noticed that? If they're making a note that Judas is with them and that they fell down, the author is telling us here that the power of God went out from Jesus. I am He. And Judas himself is knocked over by the power of God and gets up and does what? <laughs> Betrays Jesus. 
Can you imagine meeting up with Jesus and He says, I am He and the power of God is so strong that it knocks you over and all these mighty soldiers. And you know, they're wearing armor. They clang. They, all, they don't just fall down silently. They all fall down with noise. And they all get up with noise. And then Jesus even went on. He said, look, I already told you I'm the guy you're looking for. Let these other guys go. And they all went. Can you imagine being Judas? You were in there for all the power and anointing and saw it help people. And now that power directed against you knocks you over. And you get up off the ground and continue betraying Jesus. Oh, what a way we can go, huh? Was Judas' life fruitful? Would you call Judas a fruitful person? Do we see the fruits of the Spirit on this guy? Do we see peace? Do we see joy? Do we see the love of God? Do we see patience? Goodness? Kindness? Do we see these things coming upon Judas? We don't see them. And the only interaction we have with him in the Word, he's over there planning about how he can steal more money. Why it is this is being done for Jesus? Why isn't this being done this way? Questioning Jesus. Questioning those around. This is not good. And you know one thing that we don't see? We're going to see this just a minute with Peter. There is one thing that is glaringly missing in the life of Judas. It is never mentioned one time in all of the readings that we have in the Gospels. Let's go on and see, see some things about Peter. We'll see what that is. In Luke chapter 5, I put in this first contact. This is the first contact that they had with Jesus. We already saw that, we already read the part where they were appointed, but this is the first contact. This is the first time that they all met up. And when he had, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out. This is because they, they used Simon's boat as he was preaching because there was too many people and they're all pressing in. He says, can I use your boat? Can we push out a little bit over here? And Peter does. Launch out of the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, we've covered this before. and We'll just you know mention it again. Jesus said to cast down the nets. And Peter says, we will cast down the net. More, more particularly, this is probably the least quality net that they have. Because you know, if you have a multitude numbers of the same kind of tool, how many of you all know you have good ones and you have medium ones and you have not so good ones? How many of you have knife sets in your kitchen? How many of you have lots of different knives that come from different sets? How many of you have one that if you need a sharp one, this is the one you go to? One that if you don't care? And one that if, you, if it's going to get banged up and scratched, it'd rather be this one. Don't we have high grade, medium grade, and I really don't care what happens to this one. We have those different grades in there. Well, you, it may be that the one that's at the bottom may have been at the top one time. But it got moved down because of age and damage and things that have gone on with it. And you get a new one and the new one's obviously better than the old one because it's new. Right? <laughs> I mean, anything new is better. We'd rather use the new than the old. And so I'm sure that just like anything else, you know, they start off probably fishing and had one or two nets. And then as they expanded, they got a third net. Now this is the new net. So what's the best net? The new one. The new one. And probably when they first started, they got the, you know, whatever net they could afford. But now we're moving up. Let's get a better net. And then when they, they spend some more time, they're fishing some more with the three nets. They got more. Well, let's go on out and let's get an even better net. And now they got the, 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 you know, the top line. The X400. 
whatever name, name they put upon the thing. And so we got the top line net that were out there, but we still have these other nets. There's no reason to throw away a perfectly good net. If it's working, keep using it. And so, you know, we have the first net, the, the second, the third, and, and you just have multiple layers of nets. And so when he says we will let down the net, we're going to let down the one we really don't care about. Because when you pull all these nets out of the ocean water, you have to clean them. And they had already cleaned the nets. So if we're going to put a net back in, we're going to have to clean it again. And we may not want to clean it as thoroughly this time. So let's not get the XJ400. That's, you know, that's you, remember that one we got? Yeah, that one. Let's get that one. And we'll put that one in. And so when they put it in, they get this big catch. It may have been tough for their tough top of the line net to hold, but certainly for their bottom of the line net, it was not working so well. So he says, all right, at your word, we'll let down the net. And understand, this is not a misprint. Greek is extremely descriptive on this. It is not hard to figure out, did he mean nets or net? It is easier in the Greek than it is in the English. And this, this is most certainly net singular. We will let down that particular net, not the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners. Again, we see singular, right? So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats. How many boats we have in the water now? Two. How many did we have before that? One. How many nets do we have in? Apparently you don't need two boats with one net. One net is perfectly fine with one boat. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now Jesus is still in the boat. The boat that they take out to let down the net is the boat that they're in. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Quite a story, quite an introduction, but this is the first contact they had. This is not when Jesus called them. This is when he just gave the general call and they became part of the group that formed Jesus' disciples. Later on, Jesus would separate them to become part of the twelve. In Acts, um, well, in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to see some things that Peter acts and Peter asks some things. There's some things Peter does and some things Peter says. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went went to them walking on the sea. Because the disciples had gone on, Jesus stayed behind. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they f- cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down off the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now we know that you know Peter sank and we all pick on Peter for sinking, but of course Peter's the only one not in the boat. Where is Judas? In the 
He's out there with John and James, Matthew, all the other guys. They're all sitting in the boat. It is Peter who takes this direction. Is this the old way? I don't know about you, but I don't know of any old way that involves walking on the water. (laughs) This is a new way. Now, it didn't work completely, did it? Didn't work totally. I mean, he would have stayed on the water except he was looking at all the other stuff, the wind, the waves, and, you know, probably figuring out, you know what? People don't walk on water. And as he began to go on down. But he was out there. He's pushing. He's going. Didn't, Didn't succeed completely, but he wasn't in the boat. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 15, then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. This is when they were talking about the washing that the Pharisees came up and said, you guys don't always follow the traditions of washing before the meal. And he gave them parables and stuff. And so Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And this is something that Peter continually does. He continually asks things. If something is going on that Peter doesn't understand, Peter asks what's going on. He's not afraid about who's going to think he's a stupid guy. He just asked the question. If I don't know, I need to find out. How many of you have been in class and you have someone who if there is a problem, if there is a question, they will, you know they'll ask the question. And so you just sit there and you be quiet because I'm not going to look foolish. I'm going to wait for them to ask the question. And eventually they get up there and they ask the question. And if they don't ask the question, you may leave class and they don't, and the question doesn't get asked and you don't know. But that person who asked the question, they're hungry for knowledge. They're hungry to understand. I want to understand what is going on here. I want to know. I don't care if I look foolish. I want to know what's going on. And Peter is that guy. He is always... Wait, wait got a question. Jesus? Jesus? Can you explain this parable to us? I'm not getting it. Can you explain this parable to us? Well, if you ask, you get stuff. But you got to ask. Right? We're here at Christmas time. How do you get what you want for Christmas? If you don't ask, no one knows. John chapter 6, verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? This is what Jesus says. After everybody left, because he talked about, you know, eating my flesh and drinking my blood and all this sort of stuff. It was a little too much for most people. And so a lot of folks left. And so Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? And so Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is the devil. Well, you can put this under a number of things. First off, he acted because he didn't leave like everybody else did. He stayed. That's an action. Everybody else took the action to leave. He stayed. And when that's the teaching he gave, that was a deliberate effort. Because this is a hard thing. I don't think that they understood it any more than anyone else understood it. But the Lord said, Are you going to go too? And he and Peter's the guy who gets up and he answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He doesn't understand all the words, but he knows this guy's got the words of eternal life. What does Judas say? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Alright, here's the thing. The reason that Peter does not go is stated because you have the words of eternal life. Why does Judas stay? Real simple answer. (laughs) 
Give me his gas. You can probably scared too. What's, what's Judas have control of? If he leaves, what does he leave behind? Money. Judas stays for the money. Peter stays for the words of life. Can you see how they've taken a divergent path? One is pursuing the things of the natural and one is pursuing the things of the Spirit. Now, they both have problems. They're both not the best disciples. I heard one person teach and they said, you know, if Jesus did not know, we don't really know whether he knew or not, but if Jesus did not know at the beginning who was going to be his betrayer, he probably had it narrowed down to two people at this point. It's either going to be Peter or it's going to be Judas. It's one of those two. I'm just not sure which one. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not telling you whether he did know or he didn't know, but I heard somebody teach that and I thought, you know what, that's probably true. If he didn't know, he's probably looking at the two of them and saying, there's one of you two guys in there. I'm keep my eye on you guys. So there's something in there. So, Judas stays, but he doesn't say because you have the words of eternal life. It's Peter that says that. Matthew chapter 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is in a response to Jesus saying, Who do the people say that I am? They said, Well, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, notice it wasn't Judas. Notice it wasn't John or James. It is Peter again. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, how many of you all know this guy's not guessing? He's not guessing. He's not, I, I, I sort of think he might be. He says, who, are you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. Now, he said, who do you say that I am to everybody? But Peter gets up and says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Just in case you didn't understand it the first time, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Did he reveal it to Judas? Judas hangs out because the money. Peter hangs out because you have the words of life and you are the Son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 16, for a little further down, verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. He doesn't do this, doesn't teach this until God reveals to them who He is. Now, when, now that you know who I am, now I'm going to reveal to you the plan that I'm following. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Notice it wasn't Judas who took him aside. You know, I'm thinking, if you're Judas, you have an opportunity here, because if Judas goes and dies, what happens to the money box? Well, it either goes away or the disciples come, Judas, what happened to the money? And all the, rust, and all the ruckus? I left it. I was so afraid I was going to die. I just left it. And all the time, he probably would stash it away somewhere. I don't. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? If he's going to die, I might be able to get this box. So much for stealing out of it. I can take the whole thing. Well, if he's going to die anyway, I mean, something's got to happen to it. I mean, there's no sense in giving it to Peter. <laughs> 
Peter takes him aside. Because if Jesus dies to Peter, I lose something. Probably to Judas, he doesn't lose anything. If anything, he's going to gain something. But Peter says, no, no, no. If you die, I lose something. No, you, you don't, don't be talking this way. Now, Peter gave in to the wrong stuff here. And Jesus rebukes him in this way. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So he's a little stern here with Peter. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And rebukes him pretty, pretty harshly. This right after Peter got commended. And Peter's probably thinking, Oh, man, I am hearing stuff. And when he hears this, he didn't, he didn't check out which spirit it came from. He just began to repeat it. And Jesus is basically saying, Satan, you're not going to speak through my friends to get me to doubt my purpose. You all know that your friends can speak things not so good. And that if possible, Satan will use your friends to speak things to steer you in a wrong direction. Because you'll take it a whole lot better from friends than you will from enemies. And your guard is not as up with friends like it is with enemies. Other Christians, folks, being good friends or whatever, they can sometimes say the wrong things and lead you down the wrong path. You make sure that you don't listen to them. You listen to the Word. You listen to... Don't ever let a friend steer you in a direction that the Spirit of God is not leading you. It will not be good. Matthew chapter 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. I mean, that's pretty clear. It seems that they remembered to not tell the vision to anyone, but they seem to have forgotten the part that says, Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Because when He died, they were all... Sad. Now, just a side note, we've made note, you've been here around for a while, you know this part, but uh, who were the two people that appeared with Jesus? This is not revealed to them later. They're up there on the mountain and Peter says, let us build three tabernacles, one to you, one to Moses, and one to... How did, how did Peter know who Moses was? How did he know who Elijah was? They don't have pictures. They didn't have a snapshot floating around saying this is what Elijah... Oh, that's, that's Elijah. <laughs> Jesus had said there will be some of you who will experience the kingdom of God. These folks are the ones who experience the kingdom of God. And when you get into the kingdom of God, folks, you will know who everyone is even if you haven't met them. So you're going to walk up to John. John! <laughs> and John's going to come up to you and go, Steve! <laughs> Why? They never, we never met. It don't matter. Neither did Peter and Moses. They had never met before. Moses didn't have any pictures floating around for Peter to see. So when you get to heaven, no more forgetting people's names. 
<laughs> Isn't that good? How many of you have ever forgotten somebody's name? Now you don't want to go up and say anything to them because I don't know their name. Won't happen. You'll know the names of people you haven't even met. <laughs> Glory to God. No embarrassment there. What a kingdom we'll be in. Matthew 17, verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher pay the temple tax? And he said, Yeah! Sure. Huh? What, are you trying to start something? And when he came into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, Anticipated what? You pay the temple tax? So what you have here is that Peter answered without knowing the facts. Peter gave the answer that they wanted, but he didn't know whether the answer was true or not. Just like today. How many times we have people to comment on things and they don't know anything's going on? I heard one person, I don't know, what, uh, some politician somewhere, and they out of their mouth, it was so funny to hear it, out of their mouth came these words, I'm not familiar with the case. Not familiar. Then why comment on the case? How can you comment on a case that you're not familiar with? How can you do it? But he did. He opened up his mouth and he bought. And he began to say things. But I'm not familiar with the case. <laughs> this is what Peter's doing. I don't really know, but yes. Yes. Because that would be the right answer. So, Yes. And then he wants to come back in and ask Jesus. I wonder how I can get Jesus aside. I mean, the last time I asked him something, it didn't go so well. I don't really want that to happen again. I really want to find out, you know, that he asked me a question. Did I misrepresent him? Uh, what's going on here? And So he's probably trying to come up with a way to ask Jesus the question. And so it says here that Jesus anticipated him. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Now Jesus, in this passage here, doesn't address the fact whether he ever paid the temple tax before. And if he did, it wasn't outwardly obvious that Peter would know it. But we don't know that he didn't. So he doesn't want to answer this, but he said, look, go out there. We don't want to offend them. Go out there and take care of that. He wanted to ask. He's ready. Matthew 18. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? How many times have you ever wanted to ask God, God, how many times should I forgive this person? This person has done this to me this many times. Should I continue? How many of you ever wanted to ask God that question? I mean, I know what the Word says, but you don't know this person. You know how evil, how bad. You don't know what they've done. How Should I continue to forgive this one? So Peter, he's just asking. You know why Peter asked this question? Because Peter really wants to know. He doesn't care that he might look bad or that he might look good. He just wants to know. He wants to know. And so, Jesus begins to give some teaching on this, on forgiveness. In Mark chapter 11, verse 21, And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Because he heard Jesus say the day before to the fig tree, Cursed. You are cursed. And it dried up from the roots, we're told. And so Peter, Peter came, and he came up to the fig tree, and he saw that the fig tree had withered. How many of you think he was the only one who noticed? 
Because the disciples heard him. It didn't say Peter heard him. It said the disciples heard him. But then when they all saw that the fig tree had withered, it is Peter who asks. And Peter is the one who says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. And we have some of the best teaching on faith and believing God in response to this question. Where would that teaching be, folks, if Peter didn't open up his mouth and ask? You know why he opened up his mouth and asked? Because he generally wanted to know. That's, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, that was genuinely cool. <laughs> did, you, did you notice this, Jesus? I mean, it's, it's cursed. It's withered. Wow. And he opened up the door for Jesus to give some great teaching on faith. When Jesus says, have the faith of God. I say to you, if you even say that this mountain be cast up and be thrown into the sea, it will be done for you. Oh, we have some great teaching we've gotten from that, haven't we? Mark chapter 13. Now, as he sat in the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, of those four, who do you think the spokesperson was? Peter. <laughs> More than likely Peter, but we don't know for sure. But it's one of those four. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? We have these, this question recorded a couple of times. And we have the answers recorded as well. And we have Jesus teaching on the end times to thank for these guys coming before him and asking him privately, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? They actually ask the whole thing three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. And Jesus answers those questions. And we have some great teaching on the end times because... These guys got together privately with Jesus and asked some questions. Notice who is not in this group. Judas, Judas is not there. Now Matthew's not there either. Bartholomew's not there. All the other, they're not there. But neither is Judas. Judas is probably over there counting the money or figuring out a way to steal some more. These guys seek after knowledge. The Word of God. In Matthew chapter 19, And Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Because Jesus had just had the encounter with the rich young man. And he told the rich young man, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young man went away sorrowful because the Word of God says he had much wealth. He said, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the guy didn't want to do it. He didn't give that invitation to everybody. He didn't tell everybody who had stuff to go out and sell it. But this one he did. And he went away and couldn't do it. And Jesus, right after he left, says, it is hard, it is a hard thing for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And it says his disciples were mildly astonished at this. Testing your knowledge of the Word of God. What's it actually say? It says they were greatly amazed at his answer. Now, how many of you, you know, this day and age, we're always talking about taxing the rich, taxing the poor, and, and all that sort of stuff. And we all, you know, most people like the idea of taxing the rich, don't like the idea of taxing the poor, Right? Don't like the idea of taxing the middle class because, you know, the poor and the middle class, that's where most of us live. The rich, well, they should be taxed is what we get the idea. We have adopted this mentality that the press has been putting on us and most of us, you know, just have taken it. Most of us don't understand that the rich are the ones that hire the poor and the middle class. 
we just blow that, blow that one out of the way. But uh, and the, the rich in this, I think uh, I've heard the numbers before, but you know the the rich in this country pay ninety percent of the taxes. And the, the more that you move down, you know it's, it's it's hard for you to give a tax cut without affecting the rich. But we get in this mentality, you know, cut, cut taxes on the poor if I see myself in the area of being poor. Cut taxes on the middle class if I see myself being in the area of middle class. But if you get into that spot, you know, we're going to tax the rich, go for it. Get them. That's fine. Go out there and get... We don't care, do we? If we see a, a headline that says the rich, the, the tax on the rich is doubled, how many of us care? Oh, really? What else? You got the sports section? What's the weather going to be like? We're not, we're not that greatly affected by it, are we? You know why? Because we don't see ourselves as being in there. But if it comes out and says the, the, the tax on the poor and the middle class is doubled, how many of you have, are greatly concerned? So when the Word of God says that Jesus says it is a hard thing for the, for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God and it says the disciples were greatly astonished at this, how many of you all know they had to have some skin in the game? There had to be a reason why they were upset at this, that this got a hold of them. Had to be some kind of a good reason. Why? Why? Because these folks are not poor. Understand that Peter, James, and John have a fishing business, own boats, own nets, and have people that work for them. So many that when Jesus said, came a calling, that they, um, we'll go follow him. You all take care of this. We'll, we'll be back. Because they're in charge. It's their business. Matthew was a tax collector. They're generally rich people too. So when he says they were greatly astonished, they had to have skin in the game. They had to see themselves as being rich. So Peter answered and said to him, See, check this out, Jesus. We've left it all to follow you. Therefore, what are we going to have? Now, they didn't sell it. He rightly said, we have left it. Because when Jesus dies, what did Peter, James, and John go back and do? They go back to fishing. Because the stuff is still there. He just said, we left it all to follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in, this, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. How's that? Bought you a throne. That means, we're, that means, John, you hear that? That means we're going to make it. We're, we're in there. Don't care about the eye of the camel and all that sort of stuff. The eye of the needle and the camel and all that sort of stuff. We're in there. We're, we got a special seat. This is better. All right, good. As long as we're taken care of. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. I'm sure they rest easy at that. But again, who's asking the questions? John chapter 13. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Do you remember the story? At the uh, Last Supper and, and Jesus' uh, supper being ended and he puts a towel and he gets the wash basin and he goes on around and, he, and Peter's watching him. He started over there with John because you know, John's the guy that he loves. <laughs> and then you know, went over to James and, and uh, all the, hit the other different ones. And somewhere along in the middle part, Peter is. And so he comes to Peter and he says, he's going to be spiritual. You shall not wash my feet. You're the Son of God. You're not going to wash my feet. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, read it right here. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. <laughs> and Jesus said to him, No, he was bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Which means he went over and washed Judas's feet too. Do you think that Peter said anything that James and John and Matthew and Bartholomew weren't already thinking? But who is it who asks? Who is it who says, now Jesus, you stop right there. You guys, he did it to John. But you know, he's special. <laughs> Peter wants to know. Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus had told them that they were all going to stumble. And Peter, uh, not me. Peter said, oh yeah, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, all the rest of these guys. John, I understand John. John's a wimp. I mean, John, the first sight of blood, the guy's, he's, he's over. That's, that's it. Now, James is a little bit tougher, but John, you know, he's, I've, I've worked with the guy. I know. He's, he's nothing. A little fish hook catch him in the finger and he's, he's out of there. Now, Matthew, I mean, he's a desk guy. He don't know what it is to shed blood. He's, he's not going to last either. So all these other jokers out here, they may, they may leave you, but not me. Mm-mm. No, sir, I'm ready to die. John 21. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, after it was all over and Jesus had uh, been killed, and, you know, he's wandered around somewhere, but they're not quite so sure whether it's Jesus or not. He said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Boy, it sounds familiar. But when, they, when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they're just fishing with one net now. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, <laughs> we just always got to make sure that we have that little note there. You know, we don't want anybody to, to misunderstand this. The disciple that Jesus, Jesus loved. Who wrote this book? John did. That's right. John did. Okay. Uh, it is It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it, and plunged it into the sea. Now, I don't know a whole lot about how these folks dressed, but I'm told that this was backwards. That you, you know, when you were out there working, you take the sweatshirt off, or you take the outer garment off, and you get out there and you start working with less on, and then, you know, you don't put your clothes on to go in the water. How many of y'all know it's tough to swim with a coat on, with a sweatshirt on, with all that? It's just tougher to swim. It's easier to, to not have that stuff on. He puts it on and jumps on in. Kind of a silly thing to do, but... But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it. How did Jesus get the fish? Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. A lot of reminiscence from the last time. Just a few things that are different. But Peter's the guy who jumps in the water. Matthew 26, verse 40. Then he came to 
to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, said to who? <clears throat> now who's up there in the, the uh, who's up there in this section of the garden with him? Peter, James, and John. All right, he didn't say anything to John because John's the disciple that he loves. But why doesn't he say anything to James? Why does he come up? James, get up! He doesn't. He comes over to Peter. Peter! But there's two other guys. You know, it's kind of like when you were in a, were in a ruckus with your brothers and sisters and there's three of you. And your mom or your dad comes in the room and they say, Yo! And they point to you. Quit it! You know, my wife tells a story all the time when her brothers were out there beating her up and, and she was being hung, up, hung upside down and they're torturing her and, and that's when her mom came in and yelled at her. Leave your brothers alone. It's like, what is she supposed to do? Don't figure that one out. I don't know what happened with that one, but she was probably right. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know how you come in and yell at somebody who's being hung upside down at the time. That just always puzzled me. How can you do that? Obviously, well, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, whatever it is. But, you know, if you're Peter, you got to wake up. You know, kind of wake up and come to you talking to me? I mean, John, he's right here. He's the, I know, he's the favorite, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pick on Peter. Could you not watch with me one hour? Acts 1, chapter, Acts chapter 1. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So they're all shut up in the room because Jesus said, get into the room and wait until the Holy Spirit comes out. While they're waiting, Peter gets up and says, he's leading. In Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit's poured out, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And we can keep on going here and just keep on going to the book of Acts. But you're going to see that Peter gets up and he begins to say things. Sometimes he does things that are still wrong. But he's always moving. He's always seeking after God. And he's growing. And things are happening with him. Judas focused on the old way. Peter was the one who was willing to pick up a new way and to go in a new direction. If we want to have different results, we've got to do something different. You've all heard it before. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Now, that all works with everything but computers. Understand. It works with everything but computers. With computers, you do the same thing, you will get different results. Don't know why. There's no reason with computers to try anything different until it doesn't work for four or five times. That's just the way that they are. I work on them all the time and but otherwise, you know, if you do something the same way, you're going to get the same results. We've got to do something different. We talked last week about establishing different patterns. That instead of being frustrated when that guy pulls out in front of you, instead of getting upset because someone cut in front of you in the Christmas line, instead of seeing the obnoxious behavior of people and, and, and flying off the handle at it, now we're going to take a different direction. If we continually say, I'm going to put that off. I'm going to do that some other time. Down the road. Eventually, I'm going to get into that. But you know, right now, I'm frustrated. Right now, I'm mad. Right now, my emotions got my hold of me. I am angry. And we keep doing things. We keep saying things. Why are you saying that? That's not what the Word of God tells you to say. Well, I'm mad. 
Anybody ever said that? I'm in a bad mood. Because somebody so-and-so did something to me today. None of that matters. Every single day we are presented with opportunities to go the old way or the new way. Which way are we going to go? Are you going to continually put off growing and becoming more fruitful for another day? Are you going to face the situations that are in life and not let the fruit of the Spirit come out in you? Not walk in the way of love, but walk in the way of frustration and anger. Are you going to continue to let that go on? As long as you do, you establish those patterns. Those patterns become part of you. And you're not changing them. You've got to go into a new direction. You've got to take on a new way. How many of you all know that when you get upset or you get in a bad mood, that you have certain things that you do, certain ways that your mind goes? You've got to retrain yourself. You've got to go the new way. If you want the fruit of the Spirit to be part of your life, to come out upon you, then you've got to be willing to grab hold of these things and say, I am not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm not going to speak out of anger. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to react that way. I am choosing a different way. Judas didn't choose a different way. Peter was always trying out new ways. I've never walked on water before. No one else is asking the question, well, I want to know. We need to go after that. Put in your outline this. In, in life, we are constantly facing opportunities to follow the old or set out on new. There's always opportunities out there for us. You can follow the old way or you can set out on some new ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. It doesn't matter that you're driving the car and not doing a spiritual activity. Allowing frustration and anger to take over and to have you do things is establishing the pattern. It's following after the old. It is not purging out the old leaven. It's letting it ferment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things continue to hang around. No old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become and that's the way we should go. We should go a new way. What is the new way? What is the way that God would have me react here? How is the fruit of the Spirit supposed to guide me here? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to... Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? In Mark chapter 2, verse 19, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast? Being asked the questions about fasting. While the bridegroom is with them, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the terror is made worse and no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts to the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. The reason that Jesus is talking about new and old when he was talking about fasting is simply this. You have a new nature. And you cannot continue to put the old stuff in the new nature. They are contrary to another, to each other and they will cause them to burst. You must decide, am I going to put away the old things? Am I going to put away speaking out of frustration? 
Am I going to put away being angry because someone said something to me in the wrong way? Am I going to put away becoming offended because of someone, something that someone said? Something that someone did? Am I going to continue to go that way? Or am I going to decide to make a, di- a difference and to go in a different direction? What am I going to do? You can't look around at other people and use them as an excuse or a reason. You've got to look to yourself and say, No, Father God, I am going to demand of myself something different. I am not going to keep putting old, uh, new wine into old wineskins. I'm going to take the new wine and I'm going to put it into me that is a new wineskin. I'm going to let the old go away and I'm going to become new. That's what God wants us to be. The Holy Spirit, folks, is new wine. Our flesh is old wineskins. Get rid of the old and put in the new. Fasting is one thing that will do that. We, we've covered that before. We're not here to cover about, about that right now. But you have the opportunity to be a person who continues to go in the same direction. Or you can become the person who goes in a new direction. You've got two people to look at here and you can pick other people out from the Word of God too. But here, here are two. Judas and Peter. Of those two, which would you rather become? Whose end do you like better? Then we have to follow the way of the one that we like. If we keep following the same way of the old, we're going to get the same results. We've got to go into the new direction. What is it that I need to let go of? Am I hanging on to anger? Is anger part of the fruit of the Spirit? Uh-uh. Is there a good reason to be angry? Well, the Word of God says you can anger, be angry, do not sin. But how many of you know most of us? It's not it. It's not it. We get angry for other stuff. We need to get rid of the old because it's holding you back. The Lord Jesus is divine dresser. Or Father God is divine dresser. Jesus is divine. When He comes along, He's going to prune us and He's going to take away some of the stuff. He's going to even add some things. We looked about that in the pruning process. But He wants to shape us. And so He's going to come over and He's going to say that anger, that frustration, that hurt, those things, they have no part in your life. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. They're holding you back. Go in a different direction. Oh, but Father, you know what they said. Hey, they said stuff like that to me too. Don't embrace it. Stand up against it. And we can do it. Oh, folks, we can do it. We can follow a new course. We can set out in a new direction. And don't think that the, that the new direction is just for people outside of your family. Just for people that you don't see a whole lot. Your family is the ones you interact with the most. And they will bring out the best or they will bring out the worst. Follow a new path. Don't be content. Well, that's just something I've always... No, don't be content with that. Don't, don't embrace offense. Don't embrace anger. Don't embrace hurt feelings. Let them all go. Just keep on going and doing what God says. And keep asking questions to learn more about what God has to teach you. Learning who God is and what God has said to us is the most important thing. And then we take it and we apply it to our life. And we can change things. Oh, we can change things. How many of you know people that at one time in their walk were really into the Word of God and then got out of it? What's the difference in their life? You want to follow that way? <laughs> uh-uh. Keep embracing the Word of God more. Because that's the thing that keeps you stabilized. That's what keeps us going. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for the fruitfulness 
that we can bear, that we can bring, that we bring glory and we bring honor to You because we are fruitful. I thank You, Father, for the help that You give us. We are walking in the ways of God. We are walking in the ways that You would have for us. We're not going to keep on going in the same old direction. We're going to go in the way that You would tell us to go, that You would lead us. It's going to be a different way. You're going to say, now don't get angry at that. Don't get hurt at that. Oh, I, but I have every right to. No, we don't. And it's not helping our lives out at all. So, Father, I thank You for the help that You give us. For we want to be those that bear fruit always. Always. That constantly people see the fruit of the Spirit coming out on us. The love of God. Just all over. Characteristics. Peace and joy. Goodness and kindness. Faithfulness. All those things. Father, I thank You for the help that You give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.